what a large survey says about working together online. Next on Remote Space. Hello? Uh, yeah, right. I'm sending that over in an hour. The meeting today? Another one? Hold on one sec. Enough! (laughs) Working from home not as much fun as you imagined? Remote Space explores the tools and philosophies we use as we work more remotely. We'll talk to experts who have mastered remote work, those studying the shift in how we work, and those learning on the run. Here's your host, Doug Thomas. For many years, Andy Goodman has been showing us how to reach more people with more impact. As a speaker, trainer, author, and director of the Goodman Center, Andy has seen trends and best practices from various angles. I want to talk to Andy about the Center's report made during the pandemic based on a survey of over 4,400 individuals entitled Unmuted, What Works, What Doesn't, and how we can all do better when working together online. So, Andy, the people that took this survey and their responses, you summed up in four words, too much and not enough. If you had to pick a winner of those two, which was the biggest, you think? Probably too much, that people were overwhelmed by the number of online meetings, webinars, presentations, trainings, the total number of hours they were spending online every week once the pandemic hit and suddenly everything was happening via remote. I think too much would carry the day, although too little would be close behind it in terms of too little training, too little preparation, too little accessibility, too little inclusiveness, too little engagement, uh, close behind, but I'd, I'd have to go with too much. Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the things that came out about training, about the not enough area, was uh, even people who were facilitators and leaders didn't have enough training. Nearly half your survey responses who led meetings reported having no training on how to do this. Talk about that and then how that has been worked on over the last year. Yeah, we were kind of shocked by that. So everyone had to, had to do this as of March 2020. You know, that's when the uh, shelter-in-place restrictions came in and all of a sudden everyone had to do this. And so people being thrust into the role of leading a, a web meeting or a webinar or webcast without training would be expected. But by July and August of 2020, when we did the survey, three, four months in, you would think by then people would have realized, okay, this is for real. This is going to be for a while. We should learn how to do this right. But when we did our survey, as you said, 35 to 48% of the people uh, responded, whether it was a web meeting, a webinar, or webcast, no training whatsoever how to do this. And we were shocked by that. Is there been any response since then that you've heard of? Uh, Is this an alarm that went up with companies? I mean, I, I know you do surveys, but have you heard any feedback of that changing once this kind of news kind of rolled out into the summer? I can't give you any hard data to that. Anecdotally, yes, a lot of organizations have told us that they've started to to invest in training. We've been offering a webinar for years called the Webinar on Webinars. And we started offering it for free in April of 2020 because we just felt like, number one is we didn't want to be cashing in on the pandemic. So we wanted to offer this training for free. And we were packing classes week after week 
with people taking it. So we participated in the training effort. We know others got involved. So I think by now, I think, yeah, a lot more people have gone through some kind of training. Yeah. Uh, my day job is working on the the learning side at Microsoft. And yeah, we saw just huge, huge numbers in dealing with things like Microsoft Teams that we've made sure we concentrated on that stuff. Um, but again, some of these problems have been around for a long time. And this report that you referred to uh, looks like the 2009 one, that the, the constant thing was uh, keeping people focused and engaged is a most challenging issue. Any solutions that have popped up either in the way that you work or what you've heard from these people who have done the survey to help engagement? Yeah, we, we asked that question specifically because what we find is that, you know, the ability to, to multitask, to be distracted, to disengage, it's so strong in these remote settings that we tell people if you're running a meeting or a webinar or webcast, it's a minute by minute fight for attention and engagement. So we offered several different recommendations. You know, one, for example, is when we asked people, what tools do you use for engagement? You know what was interesting? The number one tool, the number one response was creative use of the chat box, which surprised me because it's like the chat box. Huh? Well, everybody's got a chat box. What are you doing different? Well, most people use it for, for chat, for questions and comments. But some people told us we do snap polls in the chat box where We'll ask people a question that has a simple answer, yes, no, true, false, whatever. And instead of having to go through the rigmarole of setting up a poll, people can answer in the chat box very quickly. They would do something like a chat storm or a chat waterfall. Are you familiar with that term? No, I'm not. So a chat storm is where you ask people a question and you tell them, I want you to put your answer in the chat box, but don't hit submit until I tell you. So let's say the question is, when you start multitasking, during a webinar, why? Why do you multitask? Please answer that question in 10 words or less. What causes you to multitask? So you give people 30 seconds to write their answer. Uh, and then you say, okay, everybody, three, two, one, hit submit. And then you see the chat box literally fill with answers like a, like a storm or a waterfall. And you'll see certain words or phrases recur. It's almost like getting like a, a word cloud, but in real time. And so that can have kind of a dramatic effect Plus, when you ask a question and tell people we're not going to reveal the answers for another 30 seconds, it kind of builds a little suspense. So things like chat polls, chat storms, waterfalls, creative use of the chat, that came up as, as an engagement tool that we quite, quite honestly didn't expect to hear. Yeah. It's one that I've definitely seen in meetings and, and presentations that I've done. It all be, almost becomes a secondary meeting in in some regards that people will talk and people have gotten smart to this to know that you know we should have someone on the chat and so who's not presenting so they can answer questions but also there's little i mean teams and zoom allow things to put in like animated gifs and fun things and and i'm probably someone who too I, I try to measure the the seriousness of the meeting but to throw in a joke to start people having conversation and a lot of times that piles into something that's just as unique to keep afterwards because there's some really great stuff that comes out and sometimes the person the presenter can come back and respond to that but it's almost something that i know is going to continue on as we get into this hybrid work environment where some people are in the room and some people aren't, even if someone's presenting in the room right in front of me, I may be doing this secondary chat now, which I don't think I would have done in the first place unless somebody had a, had a particular question or had a problem with the technical issues that they were having. And you, and you raise a point, which is that to really lead a webinar or a meeting effectively, 
it takes more than one person because it's very hard to be presenting and be present for people and, and conscious and interacting and also have one eye in a chat box where questions and comments are streaming by and people are having questions, having conversations. So it's good to have a second or a third person, one person just to monitor the chat box and keep that under control, someone else to deal with technical issues and then allow you to focus on the main presentation. Right. And we're just getting, I mean, more people are now used to this type of environment where maybe they weren't before. And I think it's just, it, they're just not going to sit and listen. They're ready to chat. So yeah, to have those extra people is definitely something. It's something I did when I was doing uh, what we call the office 15 minute webinar. Uh, always had three people there for even 15 minutes. Was there a big surprise that came out of the survey that comes to mind? Yeah, I think the biggest surprise for me was the lack of attention to, um, inclusivity and and accessibility. You know, inclusivity, what I mean by that is, are you doing things at the beginning of your online convening to make people feel welcome, respected, engaged, brought into the space? You know, people working at home, they're going from meeting to meeting. As they enter every new space, they want to be acknowledged. They want to know what's going on. They want to say hello. We asked a question in our survey, how often have you seen convening leaders or facilitators say or do things specifically to create an inclusive space that acknowledges and adjusts for the diversity of all participants? You would think, given a choice of never, rarely, sometimes, frequently, always, that most answers would be in the frequently to always range, that that should be a, just a regular thing that everyone does. 43% said sometimes, 33% rarely, 6% never, only 19%, less than a fifth said that they do it frequently or always. And to me, unless we're talking about a team that's meeting on a regular basis where you know everybody, they know you, they don't need any special handling, unless you're dealing with that, then I think you should always spend a minute or two up front just to make sure that everyone feels welcomed and included. So that was that was a surprise. It was surprisingly low. Yeah. I And I, I can just see that. And I think a lot of people maybe even forget that because they're going through the same type of for lack of a better word, trauma that the rest of the audience is, that sometimes you're so frazzled trying to get these things out, you might forget that, but that's a really great reminder. And and my biggest surprise was along the same lines of those expectations at the beginning of a meeting. You had a question about when you have or attended a work-related video conference, what attributes to a positive experience? And one was naturally engaging presentation. Number three was interaction, but number two really got me, which is clear structure. And I, I, I'm a, I'm a person that when I present, if I'm doing less than an hour or maybe 90 minutes, I, I always think the agenda is a waste of time and a low energy thing to start. So I usually try to avoid that. But looking at this, I thought it's one of those things that now that we're in this meeting to meeting to meeting thing to have that to remind even remind people what we're doing here because they may have just clicked on the link and forgot what this meeting is about. I know that after reading this report, I'm going to start making sure that kind of structure is included in meetings. Yeah, that was that was uh, one of the other surprises, how much people crave structure. But when you stop and think about it, it makes sense. I mean, look, our lives are are, are kind of a mess now. We're working from home. Our professional and personal lives are bleeding together. We're running from meeting to meeting. So if I'm going to turn over an hour of my life to you for a meeting that you're running, I want to know that you've put some thought into it as to what we're going to do, in what order, who's doing what, et cetera. And so if you send me an agenda in advance via email or you put an agenda up on the screen that says we're doing one, two, three, four, five, 
it's great reassurance to me that there's some thought here. I know what to expect and off we go. And you don't have to spend a whole lot of time going through it. Just put up a slide at the beginning, you know, just walk people through it quickly, but let them know that you've done some thinking. They will be grateful. I can tell you that when we asked people about structure, the word that kept coming back again and again was agenda. We'd like to have an agenda. It helps us know what to expect and what's expected of us. You've converted me. Um, any other uh, things that you've seen over time that, uh, again, everyone, a lot of people were in the same area in March where it was all new for a lot of folks. And then over this time, we've gotten we've gotten better at some things. What have you seen? Have we gotten better or are we just used to swimming now uh, in the deep end? A little of both. I mean, I think that certain things uh, we've gotten better at, just the basics. You know, people now know how to mute and unmute, turn cameras on and off, ask questions. You know, I think the days of please unmute, we can't hear you. I think those are fading. I think people are, are getting it. But, you know, on some of the basics, people still aren't sure what to do. And that's one of the places where we were happy to provide some data. For example, if you have a meeting where people can have their video streams on or off, so you can see them on camera or not, one of the things we found out was that there was a very sharp divide between those who said, I want my camera on, I want your camera on, I want to see you, I want you to see me. It helps me feel more connected, less isolated, helps me concentrate. Versus those people who said, don't want to have my camera on, don't like being in the spotlight all day, don't want to have to dress up or clean up my room for you, feel like it's an invasion of privacy. So there was a very strong split between the, the sort of the honors and the offers. And so, you know, we, we have recommendations to people that in certain situations, small meetings, teams, sure, tell them to turn them on. It's usually an intimate group. Larger webinars or webcasts, give people to turn it off. But really, our overarching recommendation is give each person the, the option to decide for themselves that their comfort level will start with whether or not they feel comfortable being on camera or off. And if you don't give them that choice and they're uncomfortable to start with, everything else you do is within that uncomfortable setting. And I, yeah, I've, I've noticed that. I've, known, I've followed some articles in the New York Times that have talked about this and, and blurred screen and, and how it can help people that feel that they're in, not in the correct places. And I certainly saw this at, at Microsoft of, of people, you know, turning on the camera and showing this magnificent living room uh, with all the accoutrements when half the staff is in apartments and working at the dining table and that kind of curbed for some fun folks. So there, there is that in inequality, which again, was something I don't think we ever thought of before this time. Um, I do have a, I've always been kind of a camera on a person though. We're just doing this audio wise, but here's something that I always tried to tell people. And this was before pandemic. I wonder if there's any data on it. I was a really uh, against this center camera that, that you're trying to look into, um, you know, and if you're trying to always look in the camera, like you're some newscaster, which usually has help and a, a earpiece and all this, I always thought that was unreal. So I always told people to put camera off to the side, because even though I'm not connecting with my eyes to you, we're still talking just like we would in real life. Sometimes people just don't stare at each other the entire conversation. Is this anything that, that you came across or am I just uh, a margin case here? No, I, I think people people said similar things that to have eye contact, you have to look in the camera. Uh, if I look in the camera, it looks like I'm looking at you. But looking at the camera means looking at this little green dot at the top of my computer and not looking at the screen and maybe not being able to see the material I want to cover or to see you. You may be off on the right and a whole bunch of uh, 
you know, a whole lineup of video boxes. So it's awkward. At the same time, if you look naturally at somebody and they're off to the side, then it looks like you're looking off the side and you're not making eye contact. I, I think that you know the, the happier median uh, often is just leaving the video streams off. I don't need to see you. You don't need to see me. It's it's just like being on the telephone. You know, I can hear you. You can hear me, and then we can be focusing on something else and not who's worrying about who's looking at who. <laughs> the telephone. Remember that. Um, there was one question that was really interesting because it, it's looking at the future, and this was a question about asking people before, during, and after the shelter-in-place restrictions, how many people did this uh, from working from their home place? So before the shelter-in-place, sometimes, frequently, or always was 38%. During, it was almost everyone, 94%. But when you ask them, what would they expect or want, anticipate when they got back how many of them would be sometimes frequently or always working from home? And 85% said they'd like that. Are businesses ready for this switch? I hope so, because clearly it's coming. And everything we hear is that we're probably going to see more businesses go to a hybrid model where you would come into the office you know, one, two, three days a week or every other week, that there would be some in-office experience to maintain that collegiality, just the things that only happen when people are in the same place, but that if you are comfortable working at home and can be efficient at home, that that will be a significant part of how you work from now on. Maybe it wasn't so much before. So one of the things we've said about this unmuted report is this is not a pandemic survival guide. Uh, when the pandemic is over and, and we sort of get back to whatever the new normal is, remote work is going to be a bigger part of our, of our lives both personally and with our colleagues, than it ever was before. So getting better at remote work is something we're all going to have to do. Right, because there's that weird thing, because I know some presenters uh, a year and a half ago said, look, I can do it online, I can do it in person, I'm not going to do both at the same time. And that may not be an option at some point because we're doing it. In fact, our group um, has expanded to Atlanta, where most of us are in Redmond, a good section of us will be in Atlanta. So They'll, they'll have to be that way. And you're right, it has nothing to do with uh, the pandemic, but it's greased the rails of change, of, to be sure. Um, now, this report, as you said, uh, was done last summer and finished, it came, published in August. Has there been anything that you've seen or that your feelers have that, that's, that's changed over those last uh, seven, eight months? Just people starting to react and adjust. Uh, for example, I saw an article in the New York Times two weeks ago that uh, Citigroup, as a corporation, was had declared Zoom-free Fridays, and that from now on, you might as an employee have external meetings on Zoom on a Friday, but they would not have any. They say, we're cutting our Zoom days by 20%. Uh, and then I heard that IBM had done the same thing. So I think some people are realizing that Zoom fatigue is real, and they are adjusting to it by finding ways to cut back on these meetings. A lot of people are rediscovering the telephone as a way to have a conversation <laughs> without having to worry about what you look like or where you're looking. So I think that the pendulum is swinging back a little bit now towards not everything suddenly being a video conference just because we can. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. In fact, our group uh, did uh, is doing every other Friday is a no meeting day, just no meetings in general. We'll see if we'll, we'll do in-person meetings, but probably not because, again, so much of our 
workforce is not in the same place. And one of the things that we had to adjust because of that, I mean, first everyone was like, ooh, that's great. But then it became all meeting Thursdays for a lot of people. So we had they had to adjust. So again, it's that it's that uh, like with anything, you have to go up and, and adjust as you go through. So I'm curious about the the Goodman Center, your organization. Is everyone remote there already? How did how were you set up before the the restrictions uh, came in place? Well, the Goodman Center, we we are a, a small communications training and coaching firm. We only have two full-time employees and three subcontractors who we hire in uh, busy times to go out. Prior to the pandemic, almost everything we did was in person. We would go out and do training and coaching face-to-face, and maybe 20% of our work was online doing webinars for people we couldn't get to or who couldn't get to us. And then the pandemic hit, and suddenly it was 100% virtual. Everything, all training and coaching happened online. And what we're finding is that as people start to look at the calendar, June, July, August, the fourth quarter of this year, and they're starting to think about in person, a number of people are saying, yeah, but you know, a lot of this online stuff is working for us, so we may just continue to do it online. So th- that's what we're finding. Ah, so everyone's adjusting on that. So did you find anything doing your 100% remote that maybe the survey didn't get into, that, that just your personal experience was something that was a, a good tip or something that you discovered? This is not so much something that happened to me, but something I learned. We thought that in making this adjustment, uh, some organizations were really going to suffer. I'll give you one, one classic example. There's something called the OSHER, O-S-H-E-R, OSHER Lifelong Learning Institutes. Have you ever heard of, uh, of OSHER, Doug? No, I haven't. Have you ever heard of the, uh, the expression elder hostel? Vaguely, but I can't put the reference to it. Basically, it's for older adults, for retirees to continue their education They will go to the local university, college, community college, and take courses, like six-week courses taught by college professors to continue lifelong learning. It used to be called Elder Hostel. Osher Lifelong Learning uh, Institutes are affiliated with colleges across the country. And the classes they run are populated by people who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s. So when the pandemic hit, and these classes were all in person, when the pandemic hit and they realized the only way we're going to continue delivering these classes on, is online. The people at Osher thought, oh boy, you know, look, look at our audience, people in their 60s, 70s, 80s. And now we're going to ask them to become experts in, in Zoom and Teams and Google Meet, et cetera, to, to take our classes. And they thought registrations are going to go down. We might even go out of business. What they found was just the opposite. Not only did their audiences embrace the technology and figure it out, sometimes with a lot of help, but some of the senior citizens who would have trouble getting to the university, who didn't want to drive at night, who were retirees who t- took a lot of vacations and, and thought that they would not be able to take all the classes, or who were geographically distant, suddenly they were all able to take the classes and their registrations went up beyond expectations. So to me, one of the great stories of the pandemic is that in adjusting to this new online world, some organizations that thought that they were really in trouble turned out to have their best years ever. Yeah, it's just a, uh, amazing on that. Now, because of this was such a different year, did this survey feel different than the others because of people working from home or working through trauma or just trying to get out? I'm, I'm just curious. Well, it, it did feel different in one sense. We did a survey uh, back in 2006 when we were writing our book 
why bad presentations happen to good causes. And when we did that survey, we were very happy that 2,501 people took the survey. When we put out this survey in July and August of this year, once again, we partnered with lots of nonprofits and foundations to put the word out. But I think because people were stuck at home and they're on their computer all day long, that's why we got 4,405 people to take the survey. So we had a much richer data set, I think, as a result of people being stuck at home. And yeah, I'll take, I'll spend 20 minutes on your survey. So that, that actually was a silver lining. I'm curious, do you think people are more apt to answer honestly in a crisis? Well, the questions we were asking were, were not too challenging in terms of you know, whether you want to be honest or not. You know, when we're talking about using video conferencing platforms and work and things like that, I find people are, are pretty candid across the board. Yeah. Uh, the report ends with uh, a part about that we are all Robert Kelly. And Robert Kelly, for those probably don't know his name, but they know the meme, which is he was a hapless reporter for the BBC who a couple of years ago was in his bedroom and uh, the door opened and a child walked in and his wife is trying to get the child in. And you just said we've all turned into that character now because we are interrupted by real life. And I'm the same way with that, that, that some people are – uh, again, I work with people who are working on their living room table. I'm working with people that, like myself who have the ability to close a door, which is fam- fabulous. But I've really liked and shown, especially for companies that said, eh, we can't have a, a workforce has to always come to the building, that people can get stuff done and be more authentic about it. And there's been a lot of talk, and we've talked to folks on this podcast about how managers are really trying to get to know and get to understand their employees better. And I'm, I'm certainly hoping that that keeps going once we get back and we hopefully forget a lot of this stuff five, 10 years down the line, that we're just more authentic people that understand that we're all kind of going through stuff. I don't know if there's a question there, but it's certainly something that, that's been close to me as I've been doing this podcast for the last year and interviewing people about remote work. No, I, I, th- I think you, you said something something really profound there that because of uh, we all went through, the, we're all going through the same thing together. We're all in the same narrative. That has a, a tremendous unifying effect. You know, we're all experiencing the same thing. And one of the things we're experiencing is that, you know, this this worldwide crisis helps you focus on what's important and, and to let, let a lot of the, the little stuff just sort of slide away. So if we're having a meeting and all of a sudden our kid runs into the room and pulls us or a, a cat walks across the keyboard, instead of, you know, acting like, you know, it's a big deal, it's, it's not a big deal. It's just, it's just life intruding. And so as a result, I think we all can just be ourselves and be more authentic and focus on what's important and let the other stuff go. You know, as, as you said, we are all Robert Kelly now. We're professionals. We're working from home. We're doing the best we can. But sometimes stuff's going to go sideways. And so we have to give each other, you know, the grace and space for that to happen and to realize that we're all going to get through this together. Absolutely. Well, Andy Goodman, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, Andy runs the Goodman Center. We've been talking about this report called Unmuted. We will have links in the show notes so you can look at it yourself. And uh, I can't wait to see, uh, (laughs) in some words, the sequel, this hybrid work that we're going to get into. I'm really curious to see what comes out of there. Um, Andy, thank you so much for coming on Remote Space. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear more stories and lessons learned from those working in the remote space.